17 minutes. It's uh, good to be back with you again. We're uh, in our series uh, called The Red Sea Rules, and uh, we're using a book by Robert Morgan, and that book is just a little bit of a guide. There's a whole lot in all the sermons that uh, uh, I get into that actually is not in the book. So we just use it as a guide to go through, but we're using his principles as a guide. Uh, last time we handled principle number one, which is realize that God means for you to be where you are, Today we're handling principle number two, and it says be more concerned with God's glory than your relief. Now this, one, this is a tough one. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Be more concerned with God's glory uh, than, than for your relief. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain that a child would understand me. Uh, I want to be in tune to your Holy Spirit, any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to a person or their situation. If you prompt me with it, Lord, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And then, Lord, you will remind me of people watching and even in service congregation, in-person congregations. Um, I'm the one under a great judgment, a more strict judgment, because I'm a teacher of your word and I accept my place in rightly dividing it. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. We're looking at Exodus 14, 3 and 4. Exodus 14, 3 and 4, and I'm going to read it to you. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue you. There's a chase. He will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. Last time I left you in a sermon, I had the Israelites being trapped. Uh, they were trapped by the sea. They were trapped by the mountains. And don't forget, there's a pursuing Egyptian army that's coming on them. And God led them there intentionally. Seemingly trapped is the way I would explain it. Uh, but... That's also part of the plan. If you look in verse 3, Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around in the land, in the, in the land and they're in confusion. Part of the plan that God wants to happen is he wants Pharaoh to think that the Israelites are confused. That, that's why he had them backtrack able to go down, turn around around, and go back and backtrack again, they're seemingly boxed in. And when Pharaoh sees this, and I'm sure his generals are like, this is the opportune time to charge. And it says that they, they are pursuing them. They're going to pursue them. Uh, and you know that the, uh, the pursuit is exactly what God wants to happen. He wants the Egyptian army to go, man, they're confused. We're after them. We've got them now. They can't go anywhere. They're near the sea. We're coming after them. So that's cut off. They're in the mountains. They can't go at the base of the mountains. They can't go any further. So it's full-on charge, but you need to know that's exactly what God wants them to do. The Egyptian army is noted for its power and its might. But we know in the verses that are soon to come that God is going to show them his power and his might. It, it, it's, it is about deliverance. 
because God said he was going to raise up a deliverer, and that's Moses. It is about that, but it's also about getting God the glory. I want to talk about glory for a moment in this verse uh, because uh, it, it's telling us that they will know uh, I will receive glory um, by means of Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and uh, they will know who I am in my power. We want to talk about glory. I'm going to attempt to define it, and uh, the key part of that phrase is attempt. Uh, explaining glory is like trying to describe and define love. It's hard to do. It's hard to define. And if you read the scriptures, you're going that God is to get the glory. Glory be to God. All glory to him for his glory. You'll see that over and over and over in verses. <clears throat> that can seem a bit egotistical. In other words, it's all about him. But that's where you don't understand the gospel. It's not all about him. It is about him and us realizing all the power that he has, but it's really about us. Uh, he, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know his glory, and he wants us to know his power and his might. Uh, and the, the whole picture of this is he, he is wanting us to see all that he can do and uh, how powerful he is how grand he is, praise and worship songs in the 70s, how awesome he is, and they use that word, how amazing he is. Does he, does he want us to see that? The answer is yes. He does want us to see that. But it, it, is, it is more important that it is about him getting the glory. Uh, and in Scripture it says we always fall short of it. And we're always going to fall short of it. And you're going to say because we're imperfect, Okay, it's a good answer. It's not a complete answer. The complete answer is we'll never match where he is. Scripture would say there's no one like him. Uh, he, he, he's so deep we can't even fathom it. There's no way we can completely understand it. But if we're going to get into the word of glory, we're going to get into what it means and how Scripture tries to describe it. And it is, uh, it, mean, it is a word, a root word that means weight, meaning that he's, it's weighty. Now, we're not talking about overweight. We're just talking about weighty, which means he's mighty. Uh, it can be a level of importance, uh, and it can be the might and the power that he has. Again, it can sound egotistical, though that's not the truth. The reason he wants us to see his glory, I have boiled it down into three ways. Uh, we see his glory in his presence. If you've ever been in the presence of God, those are marker moments of your life. If you're ever really in the presence of God, it's nothing else matters. Nothing. Nothing at flesh and blood. Nothing matters. Your, your home and its address, nothing matters. When you've been in the presence of God and you realize that you're in the presence of someone who is so mighty that mankind will never be able to match it. It's unbelievable. Uh, the second way we see his glory is in his greatness, and that's like his ability to create handiwork of this, the stars, uh, his creation, how wonderful. It's mesmerizing. The fact that he even gives salvation is his greatness, that he gives it. Or when he judges, it's going to be just, just and righteous. 
And a third way that we see his glory is we see it in the future. It is what I will have after I die on this earth. It's not only that, it's also the beauty of the resurrection, nothing to be afraid of. It's, it, it becomes future, not only the glory that we're living in now. And, and the point is, it's, his glory is so vast that this world can't contain it all. Absolutely can't contain it all. So we see his glory in three ways. His presence, uh, being in it. Uh, two, his greatness, uh, his, his ability to create, and we see his greatness. And then in the future of what he promises us in his glory. Um, of all his greatness and importance, it's not egotistical at all because it, he's pointing it all to every single one of us. There are people who believe that there is a God, but they don't believe you can have a relationship with him. They don't even believe you can know him. So the, the beauty about the greatness of God and his glory is the fact that we see how mighty he is, but yet all that might and power is pointed toward me. Now, I could also say it's pointed toward you. Uh, realizing, as it says in the Old Testament, that he, he keeps us as the apple of his eye. It is important that we see that. It's not egotistical at all that he gets glory because we will, we will learn when we know him that that glory is pointed back toward me and toward you, and that becomes part of the gospel message. As, as we realize his glory, it's, it is heightened because of the level of importance. Uh, he, he, of that level of importance, he's concerned about me. And he sent Jesus, part of his glory, uh, for me and for you. So he wants a relationship with us. And uh, he, whatever we know of God's glory, it's bigger than what we know. Whatever we see of God's glory, it's much better and bigger than you can ever imagine. So God, in these verses, three and four, is going to show Pharaoh. Pharaoh's powerful. His, his army is mighty. Uh, but he's going to show them his power, his might, his glory. He's going to do that. And remember, his importance, again, is bestowed upon us. In this principle number two, be more concerned with God's glory than your relief um, can make us sound like that he's not, uh, he's not interested in us in any form or fashion, and he is. He is interested in us, but he wants us to see his glory so that we can understand that that glory is pointed to us. Um, we, we're, we have the... We, we have the Egyptians leaving Egypt, and we have the Israelites leaving Egypt, and in leaving Egypt, he had the ten plagues, showing his might, showing his power, showing his importance, his weight, uh, his glory, and he's still continuing to show it again, and, and, and in verses to come, he's going to show them, even though Israelites are trapped by the sea, the mountains, and the pursuing army. In, in the book we are uh, reading, Robert Morgan says this, he said, sometimes we find ourselves in dilemmas, but he says, sometimes we can't find the answers to our dilemmas because we're asking the wrong questions. We, uh, when we're in difficult times, we have to ask the right questions, but we usually ask the wrong questions, which our author in the book calls them natural questions. They're just very natural. Like, for example, if you're in a dilemma, you're going to go, how did I get here? I mean, we're in a pandemic and we're trying to find somebody to blame. Uh, 
you know, everybody, well, like the question is, who's who's the guy that flew into Washington from that part of China? You know, that brought it in, and we know Washington was hit hard early. Uh, I wouldn't want to be that person. Can they find that person? They might. I, I mean, they might be able to. I don't know. But my point is, we ask, how how do I get here? Then then we get in a hurry. We ask a natural question. Well, how soon is this going to be solved? When's this going to be taken care of? I mean, we're like, hurry up with a vaccine already. I mean, come on, you know, we're doing that. And then it goes into a lot of questions and commands as well. And we men, I can talk about my tribe. This is where we are. How, how soon can we get it over, get it solved, because we want to go on to the next thing. It's a man's way of handling it. Or then another question, which is a natural question, is uh, why did this have to happen to me? And uh, why did this have to happen to us? And <clears throat> I want you to know I've asked that question in my life. I have asked that question. But they can be the wrong questions. They're natural questions, <clears throat> but they can be the wrong questions. If we're going to ask the right questions, and our author just says there is a right question, meaning one, uh, it is a kingdom approach in any situation that we're in. So instead of asking the natural questions that I just gave you, uh, we have to ask the right questions. And if you're in a discipleship culture, which we're trying to be at Hope Church, we're teaching people to ask good questions. And here's the question we should be asking. How can God be glorified in this situation? We're in a situation, we're in a dilemma, and we'll ask natural questions of how did I get here? When's it going to be over? And why did this happen to me? There are natural questions. But with all of us living in the kingdom of our Lord, we ask the question, how can God be glorified in this situation? And I want you to know that question is an absolute game changer. Absolute game changer. God's plan in the exodus of these people is designed to show them that he's the deliverer, and he's doing that. He's absolutely doing that. The second thing he tries to show them during this time is that uh, they would see his importance and power. And by seeing his importance and power, they're going to realize their importance from him alone. And then the third thing is he wants to gain their dependence. I've said it for a long time as a pastor. It's, uh, it's not about you becoming independent of God. It's about you staying dependent on God. And he wants us to trust him. That's why he shows his might, his power, his weightiness, his importance. That It's all called his glory. The reason he wants to get the glory is not because he's egotistical. It's so that we will realize that he can be trusted by us. That's what he wants us to see is that he can be trusted by us. When you know that God is all-knowing and you know that God is all-powerful and you know that God is ever-present, when you know those three things deep in your heart, in your faith, but you know it to be true, I don't, I don't need anybody else to tell me that it's true. I know it's true. I don't need a consensus of three, five, or seven people to agree with me that it's true. 
whether you believe me or not, I know in my heart that he is all-powerful. There is no one like him, that he is ever-present. He's never going to leave me, and that he is not only, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and all-knowing. And I know that. I don't need to be with you to figure that out. He's already revealed his glory to me, and which is his importance to let me know that in all of his might, I am important. And when you know that, you can pray the part of the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes we just say it because we've memorized it. But when you know that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, and that he's ever-present, you're going to be able to say, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're going to be able to ask for the kingdom to be lived out here on this place because of what you know with him. And I pray that you pray that. We are meant to show his glory, to let him know that he did this. God did this. God is doing this. And uh, there is, uh, he's always going to be mightier than us. Uh, I want you to read Psalm 136. I'm not going to bring it up. It's not going to be on the screen. Just read it. It is the story of the Red Sea, and it is always repetitive. His love endures forever, or he loves forever, whichever version you have. But it's going to show you what he did, and realizing his importance shows our importance to him and our love to him. So read Psalm 136. That's a little bit of homework for you. I want you to look at Psalm 115, verses 1 and 3. It says, Not to us, O Lord, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory, his importance, because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. And listen to this. Listen to this. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. So we're going to be able to pray when all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. We're going to be able to say, and I, I pray, Lord, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because I know him. And I know as important as he is, he considers me to be just as important to him is what we see. Psalm 106, verses 7 and 8. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wonderful works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea, Yet, yet in their rebellion, he saved them because of his name to make his power known. Uh, he remained faithful to them even though uh, they were faithful to him. He remains faithful. Psalm 50, verse 16, Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. He says, you will give me, you will give me glory. Um, Arthur said this, and, and these are his words, they're not mine. Uh, he turns difficulties into deliverance, and he turns problems into praise. And even though this is our author's words, I believe those words coming from who the character of God is. And I want to leave you today with this. It's Psalm 23.3. I've already used it in the intro sermon. I want to bring it back to you. Verse 3, he renews my life. He restores my soul. 
He leads me along the right paths. Remember, we're saying he makes a way, and he does it for his name's sake, which he does it for his glory. When we realize his importance, we will then realize how important you and I are to him. Be more concerned with God's glory than for your relief. And to God be the glory, grace, and peace.